Uh, as you can see behind me, we're starting a new series called Rhythms. And basically, we want to launch 2017 with this idea of moving to a different beat, moving to a different beat. And so uh, what we're going to talk about this morning is moving to a different beat, moving from a stayer to someone who is a goer. Moving from a stayer to a goer. Now, maybe for you, when I say moving from a stayer to a goer, it's you going across the ocean. And so for 2017, you're going to literally fly over salt water to minister. For some in this room, when I say moving from a stayer to a goer, it means that you're going to go across the street, across the office, and actually initiate and interact with people who do not act, believe, and think maybe like you. But when I think about this idea of moving to a different beat from a stereotype to a goer, I think about this, this phrase that I like to use called the global Christian. The global Christian. Now, when I use that phrase, the global Christian, what I'm referring to is a Christian who has discovered the truth and needs of God's unfulfilled global purpose to reach all peoples. I like to say it like this. They've had the aha moment. And maybe your aha moment of understanding you need to move from a stayer to a goer is when Mike was preaching on missions. Maybe it was when you took a short-term trip to Africa. Maybe it was hearing from those who came back and just listening and realizing, man, God has a heart for the world and I need to act, pray, think, and believe differently. When I talk about the idea of a global Christian, I want us to think through this morning the five areas that we can all be goers in. I want us to think about what it means to literally go across the ocean, and that would be the common understanding of what missions is. I just labeled that the goer. But some of us, we're going to go across the street and reach out to the nations who work with us and are in our neighborhoods where our kids play soccer with. For some of us, we're going to engage God in praying for the nations. We're going to send sacrificially by giving. We're going to mobilize. And so let's just take some time this morning and see how we can move out in 2017 from a stayer to a goer. I, I love the conversation on going that, that God has with Moses. In Exodus chapter 3, it says this, and I, I underlined how many times God refers to himself. Nine. Nine times. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because they're slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Nine times God refers to himself. I, 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 I. Matter of fact, the only time God refers to Moses is in verse 10. I am sending you. It's a nine to one ratio in Exodus chapter three, but in the very next verse, Moses is like, wait a minute, God, wait. No. And don't we all do that? Like when God challenges us to step out, aren't we like, well, wait a minute, Lord, do you realize I'm self-absorbed in high maintenance? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Like I have, I, I have very, I'm a needy person. And watch what God does in the next verse. God takes Moses' eyes and says, it's not about you. I will be with you. I will be with you. That promise of his presence is actually what drives scripture. I think of Genesis chapter 12. Abraham, I will be with you. Genesis 26, Isaac, I'll be with you. Genesis 28, Jacob, I'll be with you. Joshua chapter 1, I will be with you as you go into the land. Solomon, build the temple, I will be with you. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I will be with you. 
But what happens is we begin to look inward. I remember when I, I, a guy named Kevin invited me to go to North Sudan to the war zone where Muslims and Christians were fighting to pass out Bibles to the Muslims. And he's like, Todd, let's go. And I'm like, Kevin, I'm not ready. And he's like, that's okay. You have 20 minutes. (laughs) And I'm like, what? But we do that, don't we? Matter of fact, as my wife and I have traveled for the last two decades almost challenging this generation of believers to be goers, What we've realized is whenever God calls you out to step out, whether again, that means ministering to someone you work with or ministering across the ocean, there are issues, excuses, obstacles that that bombard us. And if you were just to go with us over the last two decades and be like, what are like the top five that you always hear over and over again? My family's going to freak. My wife won't understand. I want to go to China. She wants to go to counseling. (laughs) Debt. I don't even know if I'm called. Like, I don't want to make a mistake. Do I need to ask people for funds? How do I, how do I, how do I, how do I join this nonprofit in Bentonville and rate? How do I do that? Let's just walk through these five this morning is that I have no doubt you will resonate with all five. What do you do when God says go, but family says no? What do you do when God says go and family says no? I remember it was May 8th. I remember it was May 8th because I just graduated from seminary. So me and my wife and her family and my family go down to Dallas where I was going to graduate on May 8th. It was May 8th, graduation day. It was May 8th, Mother's Day. I remember it was May 8th because I was graduating seminary. It was Mother's Day and it was my, my, my mom's birthday. So May 8th, I remember it was May 8th. It was Mother's Day. It was my mom's birthday. I was graduating and it was my wife and I's anniversary. Like I remember May 8th. And I took my mom and dad, Gene and Joe, my, 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 my wife's parents. And we went to this Mexican restaurant and I just stood up in the middle of this incredible occasion. Ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Mom, Dad, Gene, Joe, I have an announcement. We want you to be the first to know. Jess and I are moving to the Middle East. (laughs) My mom starts to cry. My dad grabs my, my, my arm, ushers me outside and grounds me for six months. I lost my car, my phone. My wife had to get a second job in order to support us. And I can remember just in that moment, I realized, man, I thought the older I got, the easier it got when it came to my parents. And I realized the older you get, the harder it gets. Because not only do you now introduce kids and their grandkids, but also their health needs and your new responsibilities to care for them. What does Jesus say about family? For I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against his mother. A man's enemies will be the member of his own house. You will all have issues when you move from staying to going when it comes to family. What about this one, marriage? Marriage. Here's an email I received. I just want to let you know I came across your website today. At 18, I spent a a summer in student missions and knew that at the end of that summer, God wanted me in missions work. 
But then I met a guy and basically sold God out just to get married. I'm now 41 and have regretted that decision in so many ways. Please keep telling young people that the day to minister for Christ is today, not tomorrow, next semester, next year. Tell them to never, ever, ever let any person or anything deter you from the mission that God has placed in your heart. I'm speaking from experience. I was speaking at a Christian college. 600 students, mandatory chapel, no one paying attention. And that's really disheartening, you know, when you got a nice shirt on and you're trying to challenge them. And, and I just remember I was looking out and I was like, you need to go, you know, the nations. And everybody's like. <laughs> so I'm like, I got to get an attention. I got to get their attention. So I stepped back at the back of the stage and I just shouted. If you want to be a missionary. Don't marry a Christian. (laughs) I said it again. If you want to be a missionary, don't marry a Christian. And no joke, someone from the balcony yells, marry a Mormon. I said, if you want to be a missionary, don't marry a Christian, marry a global Christian. Just because the guy wears Toms and has a Chris Tomlin ringtone doesn't mean he's right for you, (laughs) right? What? What about this debt? I mean, a lot of us in here, we overspend mortgage, cars, vacations, boats, lake houses. And then you add to that, those of us who, who have a university degree... And it's like, man, God challenged us to move from staying to going, but we're like in debt and we're a slave to, to, to debt. Maybe the year 2017 means you spend less, give more and get out of debt. Another thing that really will confuse people as they move from staying to going is this idea of the call. Is it a liver quiver? Like, I don't know my call, like the angel Gabriel appeared to me. I don't know how to... And I've realized in in the book of Acts, there's three types of callings that God will use for you and for me to move us from staying to going. There are three types of callings. And the first type of calling, I, I, I like to label the mysterious call. The mysterious call, this is when Paul the Apostle, he's ministering in Turkey, and he wants to take, if you're looking at a map, he wants to go right and take the gospel to China. But God gives him a vision, a dream, and he sees a man from Europe in Macedonia saying, no, go left. And in Acts 16, the first believer in Europe comes to Christ, Lydia. Now, what you realize about the mysterious call is this is not a normal experience for the vast amount of of believers. Paul's salvation call on the back of a donkey seeing a great light was not normal, and his call to missions wasn't normal. But we like to normalize it so that we can get out of it. Well, I haven't had that lightning experience. Now, again, if you line up missionaries... Only about four out of a hundred have, have experienced the mysterious call. I met one of them recently, a guy moving to the Middle East. We were talking to Panera and I'm like, hey, how'd you find this country? He's like, I had a dream of a flag and these faces. I got up in the middle of the night and Googled flags of the world. I came across this flag and my wife and I just signed a three-year commitment. Wow, not normal, really cool. 
The second type of calling, I've just labeled the commissioning call. This is when at the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul. What I mean by this is, look at who's fasting and who's praying, the leadership. And the leadership hears from God and then sends out people. What that means is if you're running through these hallways and all of a sudden you meet Caleb, Wade, or Mike, and they're like, hey, I just want to talk to you for a second. We've watched you. We've seen your family and your lifestyle and your godliness, and we, we're praying for a team of 10 to Turkey, and we want you to lead it. That's just as biblical. Unfortunately, many churches are not commissioning people out. So if you lined up 100 missionaries, four out of 100 have had the commissioning call. That means four out of 100 have had the mysterious call. Four out of 100 have had the, have the, the commissioning call. That means 92% of all people who move out from staying to going fall underneath the third category. I looked at a map of the world. I asked where no one was going, so I volunteered. The common sense call. A buddy of mine was so disillusioned with the call, he was so confused that we were meeting for two months over it, and he finally just says, forget it. He buys a map of the world, puts it up in his living room. He has two kids in junior high. Him and his wife have previously agreed. They bring their kids in the living room, and the dad looks at the kids and say, we have decided. He pulls out a dart. And he says, your mom and I, wherever this dart lands, we're going to move there for seven years. They pray as a family in agreement. The dad takes the dart throws it at the map of the world, and it lands in the ocean. (laughs) Support raising. Support raising is not unbiblical. God might have you join as you move from staying to going, join a group that requires you locally or abroad to raise funds. Jesus raised support. We shouldn't be afraid of it. Mary, from whom the seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household, these women were supporting Jesus. Jesus lived off support. Paul the Apostle picks up on this idea and says, if you move out from staying to going in the same way the Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. We need people who will be goers. And maybe you might literally fly across salt water. But again, there's some in here who will never cross salt water. And that's okay because guess what? The nations are here. The nations are here. We need to be welcomers. When I think about the nations being here, I think in terms of three categories. International students who are here studying from all over the world. That makes up one part of who's here. I think of international students. I think of the immigrants who are living here, who we work with. And then I think of the refugees who are here and more are coming. And as you think about being a welcomer, maybe God's given you a specific category of refugees, immigrants who you work with, or, or, or international students. But whatever your, your, your value is, we need to be about reaching the nations who are here. Think about what God told the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. He always goes back to Israel. Do you remember when you were a foreigner in Egypt with no hope, no one feeding you, no one caring for you? Guess what? You're to love those who are foreigners for you were foreigners in Egypt. Deuteronomy. The foreigner living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Remember when you were in Egypt. Exodus 23. Do not oppress the foreigner. You know how it feels to be a foreigner. We all do. We've all been alienated from God, a foreigner from him. But he came near and initiated. You were foreigners. 
in Egypt. If you, if you took the 10 nations who send their students here to study, who's going to make the top 10 list? If you take the top 10 nations who send their students here to study, who would be a part of that top 10 list? And then from the top 10, you take out those who are from countries in this unreached area known as the 1040 window, the most unreached areas of the world. If you pulled out those countries, not a part of that, eight out of 10 are from unreached areas of the world. China, 1.2 billion people, vast majority atheistic. India, 80% Hindu. Saudi Arabia, 99% Muslim. Taiwan, Japan, Vietnam, 85% Buddhist. Turkey, 99.9% Muslim. I heard a lady tell me this week, 75% of all internationals who come to America never see the inside of American home. And 85% never hear the gospel. If I pulled out your phone right now and I thumbed through your contacts and I said, show me two or three internationals, immigrants who you're working with, befriending and sharing the gospel with, who would you show me right now in your contacts? I'm not asking you to raise $3,000, get the hep B shot and malaria pills and fly over salt water and minister in a hostile environment. I'm asking you when you sit down at Starbucks to say hello to the person next to you. When you're at the amazium with your kids to say hi. That's all I'm asking. But do you know how many incredibly self-absorbed white wealthy Westerners that we live among? It is boggling that we have this incredible opportunity and we remain silent. A friend of mine named Tim, a friend of mine named Tim, he's going to Bahrain, a country just right on the border of Saudi Arabia. And his church invites him to speak. And instead of Tim talking about what he was going to do in Bahrain, he said to the congregation, you stay and welcome the nations here. You have a part to play. And, and so he gets a call a few weeks later from a woman, and she's like, Tim, we heard you speak at our church. We met a student named Ahmed, and he's a Muslim from Bahrain, and we know you're going there in three months. And we just, we want you to, have, we've invited him over for Thanksgiving, and we are clueless. So Tim shows up at their house. Him and Ahmed meet, and they build a friendship. During the few months that Tim was here before he left for Bahrain, Ahmed's father from Bahrain comes to America and his only desire, where is Tim? I need to meet Tim. Where is Tim? You have done so much, Tim, for my son. Every time I'm on Skype with him, he's like, Tim, Tim, Tim. I must meet Tim. Ahmed's father says, Tim, when you get to Bahrain, here's my business card. I run an architect firm in Manama, Bahrain. Come see me, please. Tim flies to Bahrain, is there for about four months, and he's like, Ahmed's father. <laughs> I need to. Him and Ahmed, Ahmed's father, they, they, they meet up in the architect firm. And Ahmed's father's like, Tim, what do you need from me? Anything. You help my son in America so much. And Tim's like, man, I'm good. And Ahmed's father, no, Tim, what do you need? And he's like, I'm good. 
no, what do you need? And Tim's like, well, okay, I'm here on a, on, on, on a tourist visa because I'm taking Arabic privately that the government doesn't see me as a student. And because I'm not here on a student visa and a tourist visa, that means I have to leave the country every 30 days. I can't get a driver's license. I can't buy a house. I can't get a bank account. I can't rent a house. I can't do anything. And Ahmed's father's like, bring your passport tomorrow. So, Tim, Ahmed's father, they take Ahmed's father's car to the foreign affairs office in Manama, Bahrain. And the, the, the guard out front salutes Ahmed's father. They, Tim doesn't know what's going on. They walk in, the secretary stands and salutes Ahmed's father. They walk into the vice president's office from Manama, Bahrain for the foreign affairs department. And the vice president stands and salutes Ahmed's father. They go into the president's office. The president of the foreign affairs department in Bahrain stands and salutes Ahmed's father. And then Ahmed's father asks him to go get him some tea. <laughs> and after he's gone, Tim's like, what is going on? And he's like, oh, I've only been running the architect firm for a year. Before that, I was the president of the foreign affairs department for all of Bahrain. Would a 10-year visa be okay? Tim tells me this story as I'm in the passenger seat of his car in Manama, Bahrain, and I ask the question, how'd you get a license? And Tim's like, Todd, tell the church in America, when they reach the nations there, it speeds what God is doing here. Will you say hi? Will you say hi? Will you initiate? We need goers. We need welcomers. We need prayers. We need prayers. Think about the one thing the disciples asked Jesus to teach them. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And he does. In Matthew chapter 9, we actually have the only prayer request Jesus gives his followers. I, don't, I didn't know if, like, if, 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 there were, if you thought there was like a lot of prayer requests that Jesus told his followers to pray. There's only one. Only one time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John does Jesus look at his followers and say, pray this. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Jesus says there's a vast amount of harvest to be harvested, and there's a vast amount of bored believers. Ask the Lord to connect the two. The easiest way to remind yourself every day to be somebody in 2017 who prays for the nations is right now, you're welcome to do this. Take out your phone, download this free app. It's called Unreach of the Day. It's called Unreach of the Day. Every day, it'll pop up a new unreached people group. Today is the Rawats of India. It tells you if they have, what portions of the Bible they have in scripture. It tells you how many they are, if they're unreached or reached. And then you can scroll down. It gives you pictures, prayer requests. Matter of fact, the guy who, who, who developed the app calls me on the phone. I'm in my office. He calls me from London. And he's like, hey, we want you to be a part of, of, of helping with this app, providing resources. And I'm like, what is the app? He's like, it's called Unreach of the Day. Every people group on the planet without the gospel and how you can pray for it, reminders, pop-ups. He's like, this app, you can stand in Indonesia and you can hit Google Maps inside this app and it will tell you within a 100 kilometer radius the unreached around you. He said, with this app, you can take a picture of an Indonesian and based on bone structure and cheek height and forehead development, what people group they are from and if it's reached or unreached. Okay, I made that up. But that would be awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be awesome. 
The person who mobilizes the church to pray will make the largest contribution in history to world evangelization. When we move from staying to going, it means some of us are literally going to cross an ocean. It means some of us are going to welcome the nations. It means some of us are engaging in prayer. It means that we're going to give sacrificially. We're going to give sacrificially. You're not a second-class Christian if you stay in northwest Arkansas, pray for the world and reach out to the nations and give. Matter of fact, David and the Israelite army issued a decree. He says this, the share of the man who stays with the supplies is to be the same as that of him who went down to battle. All will share alike. We need people who will be frontline workers, but we also need people who will provide resources to the front line. And so maybe in this phase of your life, as one friend of mine likes to say, God needs both the bow and the arrow. And maybe in this phase of your life, you're a bow launching people to the nations. Maybe in this phase of your life, you're an arrow actually getting the opportunity to go. The problem is, how do we live in Northwest Arkansas, kind of the Disneyland of the universe? How do we live in the Disneyland of the universe and help understand the difference between a want and a need and value what God values? Because when it comes to mission giving, our values are off. We spend more money on dog food than missions today. My husband just signed an $89 million contract. He held out for a long while before signing, hoping that the management would match the $91 million of another team. The Yankees did not budge. When I saw him walk in the house, I immediately knew that he had not succeeded in persuading them to move up from $89 million to $91 million. He felt so rejected. It was one of the saddest days of our lives. I know what you're thinking. You're like, man, I can live fine off $40 million. I don't need ninety. You know, when we, when we read this, we have an emotional response. And I think our emotional response is like, how completely clueless is this wife? How far off is she that she is just, it is mind-boggling, confusing of how outside of reality she is. And then I fly to Nairobi, Kenya, and meet my friend Dom too, who's on staff with Nomads for Christ. And he says to me, pray for us, Todd. I have 11 staff who cannot raise their support and, and, and they have yet to raise their support. And so they are selling ice cream in the capital and they're unable to give full-time ministry going south to plant churches on the back of camels among the unreached. And I look at Dom too, and I'm like, Dom too, how much in support does each of these people need? And he says, well, as we've calculated, if they can raise $30 a month, they'd be fine. And I, I, here's what I can't tell Dom to. I can't tell Dom to, Dom to, I spend $750 a month in health insurance, $200 a month in auto insurance, $150 a month in homeowner's insurance, $100 a month in life insurance. If I told Dom to, I am $1,500 a month in just in case something happens... He's going to look at me like I look at. But as the average believer here, move from staying to going, and guess what they say? I would, but I don't have any money. When you get a second, jot down this website. Jot down this website. This is your homework. 
Jot down this website, globalrichlist.net. You can go to it now if you want. I don't care. And check this out. You go to globalrichlist.net. You say you want to use uh, dollars, not pounds or euros. And then type in how much you and your wife make. And it will take the 7.2 billion people breathing on planet Earth and tell you the exact number of the wealthiest person you are. It will tell you the exact number. And then what I want you to do is I want you to type in that you make $600 a year. And you're going to be staggered when you see you're still in the top 50% of the wealthiest people on the planet. We need to be people who are generously, sacrificially giving. Think about all the the things that, that this church is doing and the resources. What if we just said, man, I want to sacrificially give and watch the nations be reached through this church. We need goers, welcomers, prayers, givers. We need mobilizers. What is a mobilizer? A mobilizer, I like to say, is just someone who's had the aha moment, right? They're, they're, someone, they're a global Christian. They've had the aha moment, but they're a, they're, they're, they have a passion for the world and a passion to pass it on. Everybody mobilizes to something. But a missions mobilizer says, man, I have a passion for the world and I want to activate bored believers who are in my life who don't really know what they're doing. And so the mobilizer understands the needs of the world, what God's doing. When they're meeting with the Saudi who works next to them, they're bringing another believer with them to try to help them understand the mobilizer is someone who's raising awareness. I love what Habakkuk says in Habakkuk 2.2. God says to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, record this vision that I'm going to give you. And Habakkuk's like, awesome, I'm going to record this vision. God, what do you want me to do with the vision you've given me? Oh, I I just want you to write it down because this vision's not for you. Write it down, make it plain because others will hear your vision and join. Think Think about how God wants to use you this year, moving from a stayer to a goer and how he wants to not only use you, do things with you, but how he wants you to invite other people who would never come to this church who maybe would never, never go to a Bible study, but they're, 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 a, they're a follower of Christ, but they just don't know why. A friend of mine says this. He says, Todd, every Christian should be a global Christian. But because we have new believers coming into grace each week, every global Christian needs to be a mobilizer. Every Christian a global Christian, but every global Christian a mobilizer. There are people in your life who will move from staying to going this year if you invite, challenge, encourage, and equip them. What you realize is that world evangelization requires the whole church to take the whole gospel to the whole world. And I want to challenge everyone in here to walk out that door, go down the hallway, eat a free lunch, And then from one to three, we're going to unpack what it means practically to see the movement of God in your life throughout history and where it's moving to. We're going to have two more optional sessions. And I promise you, if you do that at three o'clock, you'll leave here knowing more about the movement of God than any other Christian you know. 
and you'll be able to leave and challenge other Christians to do the same. My wife and I, we live in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and uh, I think that's near here. And, um, you know, driving home from church on Sunday, my wife, you know, she was like, hey, we, we need stuff at the store. And so we shop local, Walmart. And so we, we pull into Walmart and um, we pull into Walmart and uh, my, I'm like, let me go in and get it. And she's like, no, I'll run in. I'm like, Jess, we have five kids strapped back there. When you leave, they cry. I don't know what it is. I don't understand it. Do I grow a mustache and not know it and become a stranger? I'm like, Jess, I will run in. She's like, no, babe, here. She puts on veggie tails and then she gives me fish crackers. And she's like, just randomly throw them back. <laughs> okay, so, so she runs in and I'm sitting there and, you know, push play and, and it works. They're happy, they're laughing. They're watching, they're singing, they're laughing, they're eating, they're singing. They're... And so I'm sitting in the parking lot in the driver's seat and I pull off my wedding ring and I just start flicking it in the air. And it was like the fourth flick. It was, it was the fourth flick that it just came down wrong, hit my thumb and went into the crevice of despair. That part between the seat and the console that nothing emerges from. And as I'm sitting there, my heart's beating and anxiety's rolling up my arm. I'm like, I got to go in. I mean, this isn't a fry, okay? And so, so I'm just going slow. It's getting tighter. It's hurting. It's stinging. I grab, I pull up a ketchup wrapper. And so... I'm like, I got to do something. I get out of the car. I push the seat all the way back. I'm under the steering wheel and I'm coming at it from this angle and I'm getting nothing. I push the seat all the way forward. I open the back seat of the car. My daughter's kicking me in her car seat and I'm coming in from this angle and I am just perplexed. Like I literally can't get the ring. And then I have an idea. Unstrap my daughter from her car seat put her in the driver's seat and explain to her, Camden, there's a shiny hard object down there. Can you get it? And no joke, here's what my daughter did. Here you go, dad. (laughs) And in that moment, God gave me a phrase. Little fits where big doesn't. Little fits where big doesn't. Maybe you're in here this morning and you're like, man, I've never been to Africa. I don't know the stats of the world. I'm scared when I talk to people of other faiths. But guess what? Little fits where big doesn't. You might not feel like you're adequate, but that's the perfect spot to be because God says, man, little fits where big doesn't. There are people in your life, in your Bible studies, community groups, neighborhoods, who if you challenge them to move from staying to a going, they will only listen to you. Because little fits where big doesn't. And so, Father, this year, may we be people who are are going. Lord, raise us up to go. Have the conversations with the nations around us. Let us, even just over this next few weeks, Lord, give us eyes to see the nations that are here. Father, may we, we be people who pray, who give sacrificially, who mobilize. 
We ask this in your name. Amen.